You are listening to Genuine Chit Chat. This show is for real. Hello there, guys, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I am joined by Craig Van Slyke of the Rational Ignorance Podcast. Now, I've had this podcast recorded for about a month or so, um, just before I went away, and I'm so excited to be able to release it. I had such a good conversation with Craig. It's just one full episode. It's about an hour and 10 minutes or so, and Craig was just absolutely delightful to have on the show. So as well as being the host of the Rational Ignorance podcast, he's also a college professor. Uh, and just in footnote version of what we speak about in this chat, we talk about stoicism quite a lot, sort of mine and Craig's younger selves being dickish is the word that we use quite a lot. Um, and then Craig also opens up about some of the past hardships in his life and he brings something up which is a very personal story to him involving his life and I just want to say here that I really appreciate his vulnerability and the fact that he's willing to open up on my show to talk about those things. It's a really really important conversation. It was incredibly enjoyable to be a part of in the sense of that it was just very important. You know there are certain topics we had a laugh and things that are certain things but some of the subject matter is a bit darker and has more weight to it which obviously I think that having a conversation this powerful is really important. So I just want to flag that up and things before the chat gets started. Um, Craig did mention a few books about when he was talking about stoicism as well, which I've included the names of them in the description. Uh, I've also included links to Craig's website, his Twitter and their Patreon. And then uh, just before the chat gets started, there will be a quick promo for the Judging Dread book, uh, which Scott Weverly of the 20th Century Geek podcast, as well as Tony Farina of Indie Comic Spotlight. Both of them have been on the show quite a few times in the past. And Scott has put together and edited essays. One of the essays is Tony's essay. Uh, for a book about Judge Dredd. Um, so if you're interested in Judge Dredd, check out the links in the description I've just put to the US and to the UK Amazon, or you know, find Scott on social media and ask him more directly about it. But if you search Judging Dredd book and Sequart, S-E-Q-U-A-R-T, you should be able to find that. But anyway, guys, that's enough rambling for me here at the start. So the conversation will start just after the promo, and then I'll be back at the end of the conversation to give you guys some information on what's coming up in future episodes and a bit more information there. So I really really hope you enjoy this episode with Craig. I hugely appreciate him coming on the show and being so open and vulnerable with me. And I hope you guys find this as useful as I did. Anyway, without further ado, here is Craig Van Slyke. Sequart presents Judging Dread. 13 essays analyzing 2000 AD's most beloved and reviled character. Forward by Matt Smith. Interview with Rob Williams, edited by Scott Weatherly. Find out who is the law. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. And we are here today with a gentleman who is part of the Rational Ignorance podcast that I've been enjoying very much recently. It's one of those, it's a good thinker podcast, one that, you know, a lot of people who listen to my shows, like the ones I've done with Tom Everett or with Jack Thomas about the concepts of good and evil, those sorts of ideas and more abstract things that kind of help people, you know, rationalize the craziness of life. In a lot of ways, the Rational Ignorance podcast does that great. So I'm here speaking uh, with Craig Van Slyke. Uh, Craig, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm a little tired, but it's been a long day, but I'm very happy to be speaking with you tonight. Wonderful. Yeah, because you're, you're uh, obviously you're over in America, which is always fun. Most of my, or a lot of my guests are from America, um, but you're soon to be, I mean, when this airs, it will be long in the background, uh, but you're actually attending a podcasting convention, aren't you? 
Right. The podcast movement conference, mm. which it's my first time coming, but I think it's going to be interesting and educational. At least I hope it is. So, And you make those be. connections. Yeah, that, that's yeah. That's one of the fun things of podcasting is that the community element of it is really good. I've made so many uh, friends due to podcasting. You know, a lot of the time it's like, hey, I want to have a two hour long conversation with someone. And it's like, but I don't know you. So like, yeah, but I got a podcast. It's like, oh, that's normal oh, then. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so what we tell people, um, what when you tell people about the Rational Ignorance podcast, and I know that in the show you like to define what rational ignorance is. So the floor is yours, kind sir. Well, so we, we kind of fell into the rational ignorance um, name for our podcast. Uh, Andrea, my co-host, actually came up with it. It's a concept from economics, political economics, that essentially says that for most rational people uh, who are voters, uh, it's rational to stay ignorant about the issues because the the cost of the information acquisition, getting all the information, processing it, that sort of thing. Uh, is way more than the value of your vote. You know, if you have 330 million people or whatever we have in the U.S. and a couple hundred million voters, well, you know, your vote doesn't really make a difference at the margin. Now, a Andrea will vehemently disagree, um, but the 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 gist of it is is there there are things where it actually is rational to not go out and try to find information. And so uh, that we just thought it was catchy. You know, it's two two words kind of opposed to each other that don't normally go together. But really what we try to do on the podcast is get to the heart of something that's important without, um, you know, without overloading people with information. Although I'm, I'm, we're two PhDs, so I think sometimes our uh, our conversations get to be a little overloading even for us, but we try. And so we, we try to really get at what's important. Uh, and that's the theme for our podcast. We want to really get at what's important to help people live really well, live excellent lives. Mm. And what, what exactly, um, well, if we start with podcasting, I'm always intrigued to buy how people first heard of podcasting. You know, I think my, my origin story in air quotes, I liked a rapper called Scroobius Pip that a friend of mine showed me. I got into Russell Brand's YouTube show and then Russell Brand was a guest on the first episode of Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces podcast. So I just randomly got into two people at the same time and then they did a podcast together and huzzah that's how i found out about podcasting so with yourself like was there a podcast that you first heard like how did you become aware of podcasting and then why did you then want to create your own well i've been a talk radio fan for as long as i can remember um you know not not any particular genre i just kind of enjoy it uh, learn some things and have some bit of entertainment sometimes and so when the internet started coming around, I'm old enough to remember when people didn't know what the internet was <laughs> and the, the internet radio became a thing. So all of a sudden this whole world opened up to us where you could listen to, you know, stations from around the world uh, or from anywhere. And so I actually went out and bought a device called an internet radio. Mm. You know, now this seems so ridiculous, but I paid I don't know, a couple hundred dollars for this radio that you could actually through a dial connect to your Wi-Fi and then tune in all these internet stations. And so it was just a natural extension from there when podcasting became more popular. You know, podcasting is amazing because not only does it democratize information, you know, it, it takes very little equipment, very little money to get started with a podcast. So virtually anybody can do it, but it just uh, gives you this 
I don't know, this almost limitless number of different issues, different things you can get into, um, and all on your own time. You know, I grew up in a time where if you wanted to listen to music, you listen to the music that the DJ on the radio station wanted you to listen to in the order in which they wanted you to listen to it. And so even something like cassette tapes were really cool because you could make your own, you know, sequence, your own playlist. Uh, and so podcasting just seems like a natural extension of that on-demand world that we've moved into. And so I, I can't remember the first podcast I listened to. I, I really, I, I, I can't, I can't really come up with what the first one was, but it just seems like it's always, it's been part of my life for the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. I've got a dozen or so that I listen to semi-regularly and it's just great. It's, and so, Hey, these people are doing this, you know, why can't we do it? And so Andrew and I talked about it and decided we'd give it a shot and, you know, so far so good. Mm, it, it's a very rewarding uh, podcasting. It, it's one of those things because I've been podcasting now, when this comes out, it will be near four years, I think, uh, around that sort of time. So I'll have been, yeah, Genuine Shit Chat is four years old and my Star Wars show, it's about a year and a half old-ish. Uh, so like for me, the, the thing that I found most surprising about podcasting, is it's helped me being a conversationalist. Like I've always been talkative, but I would talk too much and not listen enough. And obviously when you're in a recorded medium, you you have to let the other person speak that's kind of you know that's kind of the point so that helped me in that regard but also i've met so many cool people through podcasting obviously such as yourself but just hearing opinions and views and just interacting like outside of the podmosphere uh, with lots of people about you know i've got there's a whole discord chat um that where my styles podcast airs on comics in motion there's like got 12 or 15 people in there now where we're just you know we've each got a show or each involved in the show in some way and we have talk conversations about nerdy stuff and things it's just a real nice little community so sort of linking in with that what made you like how, how did you meet your co-host andrea and um was there like a a specific moment that made you want to start the podcast or was it kind of just something you kind of toyed with for a while and you know let's just let's just do it well andrea and i work together um so I, I was dean of the business school at Northern Arizona University, which is not what people think of when they think of Arizona. It's actually up 7,000 feet uh, elevation, lots of snow in the winter. It's just a beautiful place. And so I, I got a, was fortunate enough to be the dean of the business school there. And I met Andrea, who at the time was working on a project called Philosophy in the Public Interest. And she was interested in getting business school students engaged in some of these philosophical issues and, and kind of thinking about things in a different way. And I, I'm a big believer in gaining the ability to look at things from multiple perspectives. You know, we get in our own little silos, our own little mental spaces, and it's really hard to, to get out of that. And I think it's very important for all of us to gain the ability to say, well, wait a second, let me, let me turn that cube a little bit and make it a diamond. And so I was all for it. And, and we actually had a lot of success with her, engaging the business students in uh, discussing, you know, things like uh, climate change and uh, immigration, which is a really hot topic in Arizona. And so these controversial topics, but coming at it in a civil fact-based way. And so um, I actually ended up hiring Andrea to work in the business school in one of our outreach programs. And then I, I left, um, the dean's position and then left the university and Andrea did at about the same time, but we've stayed in touch because we have 
we come at things from different perspectives. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a public school boy, you know, all the, all my degrees are from public institutions. Uh, you know, I was motivated to get my degree and start making money. So I didn't uh, quote unquote waste people that are listening, can't see my air quotes over waste, but you know, waste my time studying philosophy and, you know, history and that kind of thing. And so I, I came to it kind of late in life, but she helped me see a lot of the value that we can all get out of, of some of these ancient texts and longstanding ways of thinking about things. And so we've stayed in touch uh, through the, the years of since I left Northern Arizona. And we were talking one day and I said, Andrea, I think we should start a podcast. And her eyes kind of lit up and she said, I do too. And so we spent, I don't know, we probably spent three or four months planning before we actually launched the podcast. But it was really just something that I wanted to do um, because I think it's cool. I mean, I just think it's cool that you can record your voice and put it out there and people all over the world can hear about it and uh, hear what, you're, what you have to say. But really more importantly, I'm driven by a desire to help people live uh, excellent lives. I've tried to do that as a college professor. I tried to do that as a dean. And now that I'm back to being a college professor, that's what I, I really feel like my purpose is in life. And so how can you extend your reach? You know, I can talk to my students about, you know, how do you make these kinds of decisions and how can you think about this or that? But that's limited. You know, I, I can write a book and, you know, I do a lot of writing. So, yeah, maybe I could do that. Or let's start a podcast. And so that's what we've done. And we're trying to really, that that's our mission is we want to help people live excellent lives in kind of the deepest sense of, of that phrase. So that's where we are. We've, we've been at it for, I don't know, three or four months now. And I think we're getting there. I don't know. We still have a long way to go. Four years, I'm thinking, wow, that'd be great to be four years in. <laughs> well, we were speaking before, uh, you know, pressing record, you, you listened to um, a couple of my prior episodes, which I always appreciate anyone listening to other episodes of mine, and um, with Francesca Rian and of the Writer's Voice podcast, and she's been in the game for like 15 plus years now. And I mean, deservedly so, she's got the platform she's got, but I was just like, that is incredible. I mean, I started like a YouTube show in college, which was over a decade ago now. And I'm just thinking, if I'd have just done podcasting instead, like, I wonder where I would be in a sense, like in the podmosphere of being one of the really, really early adopters. But, you know, I wouldn't, I would have probably been, been a terrible podcaster because about 10 years ago, I was a bit of a dick. So I was a teenager <laughs> and I probably thought everyone wanted to hear what I had to say. When in reality, I was probably spouting off nonsense for just, well, just a lot of the time with like little nuggets of gold, maybe in betwixt the just nonsense. But as I've kind of gotten older and things, I like to think that I'm somewhat more refined. But who knows? Maybe not. So just to be clear, you're you're not a dick anymore. You haven't just learned how to hide it. Is that right? Is that More or less. There's still, unfortunately, I do have dickish tendencies, but I try, I'm like actively trying to not be a dick. So like if I'm about to do something that could be uh, considered dickish, uh, word of the day, um, then I'm kind of, I, I like to think a lot of the time I'll have that moment to hesitate and think, do I really want to say this thing? Is this really necessary? Do I want to get in our, into an argument with someone about, this thing and most of the time now I, I don't do that whereas you know when i was a teenager it was kind of i was quite gung-ho with things you know oh my god you know this person disagrees with me let's debate them and it's like not everyone wants to debate you sometimes people just want to talk 
and not have you vehemently disagree with them. And I was always up for hearing other people's opinions, but the way I would go about it would make it sound like I didn't want to hear it. Uh, right. So that took me a while. Um, but your whole podcast, you know, the whole, you want to help people and you want to hear sort of alternative perspectives and things. It, it's very important. I mean, I know uh, in America and also in England, we've got, you've got the tribalism and the politics of things and obviously social media and all kinds of things that are just making people in, in a lot of ways more and more divided. And I think podcasting in a lot of ways is kind of filling the gap in the middle of a lot of the people who have the more, either more central ideas or people who are more willing to listen to either sides, if you know what I mean. Right. Right. And that that's one of the things that Andrew and I try to do is uh, the fancy term for it is civil discourse. Mm. So our, our we have a one of our, our little cover art things is actually a Venn diagram. Remember Venn diagrams from school where she's on one side and I'm on the other. But there's this overlap and that really describes us. So, you know, we have we have a number of things in common, but she's compared to me, she's pretty far to the left. I'm kind of a I don't know how to describe myself. I'm probably a, a conservative leaning uh libertarian. You know, I, I'd say socially conservative. I mean socially liberal, physically conservative, but that just sounds so cliche. I'm not sure I want to <laughs> say that. But you know, we we sometimes disagree on things, but what we do is we always try to take the perspective of maybe I can learn something here. So I, I'm a big believer in we should be constantly testing our assumptions. You know, we have all these assumptions that we carry into the world. It's the only way we can get through the day is we've got assumptions about everything. And for important matters, I think we should continually be, be asking this question, what if my assumption is wrong? And then test that assumption. You know, you can do some research, you can talk to some smart people, you know, you can just reflect on it, but you're going to have one of two outcomes. Either you're going to realize your, your assumption is not 100% right, and so you're going to adjust your assumption, which hopefully will move you closer to the truth of whatever it is, or you're going to hold on to your beliefs more strongly because you've subjected them to this test. You know, if you just believe things and you never really question them, well, what's the basis for your belief? And so I, I view it as a as a win-win. You know, if your assumptions are wrong, you learn something. If your assumptions are right, well, now you can hold your beliefs, you know, more confidently. And so Andrea helps me do that because, you know, she'll push back on things and I'll push back on her sometimes. I have to admit, you're talking about being dickish. Every once in a while, I'll do it for sport, but uh, <laughs> just to see what happens. But uh, you, you know, it's it's just a really good way to think about the world. But that's part of what we're trying to do in the podcast. Is look, you can disagree. That doesn't mean that either one of you is evil or an idiot. It just means that you you know you bring different things into whatever this issue is, and. Let's try to see if if we can understand the other perspective. Hmm. And has that something has that been something that you've always um, kind of adhered to, or is that something you've kind of um, as you've gotten older have become more attuned to listening to other people's perspectives? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, I was almost laughing when you were talking about your younger days because I, I had to always be right. Yeah, same. And I, you know, I would point out when other people were wrong. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, I guess when I started to get all this gray beard, it was like, you know, there's just no point in that. You know, if my wife said, you know, so-and-so called on Tuesday and they called on Wednesday, well, who cares? 
Now, if she says, now you're, you're going to your podcast conference on Wednesday and I'm going on Tuesday, that needs to be corrected. You know, most of the stuff where somebody's wrong a little bit, who cares? What difference does it make at the end of the day? And so I, I realized that I, I wanted to value relationships more than winning arguments, but it, it was not an, I'll admit it was not an easy road to get there. I was, uh, I was pretty adamant about being right all the time in my younger days. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you or not, but. Oh, hundred percent. I used to, it took me a while to realize that being right doesn't mean you're happy. Um, my, my dad, um, my, my late dad, um, you know, bless him. I loved him to pieces, but he would never, ever admit he was wrong ever. Like that. And that's one thing that when he passed away, which was when I was 19, um, mm. when that happened, it, you know, obviously, a lot, I, I say it all the time on the show, but it's just like, you know, it's the worst thing that ever happened to me, but it's the best thing that ever happened to my character because it really made me look at myself and reevaluate things. It took several years to do so, um, but it made me kind of realize I was like, the things I dislike about my dad the most was how much of a dick he was when he thought he was right, when he was either wrong or it just didn't matter and he wouldn't leave it. And then I found myself doing the same sort of things, uh, either in uh, like... Um, uh, relation romantic relationships or in just friendships and, and those sort of things just any kind of relationship i was finding that i w- wouldn't say sabotaging but it was more so i wasn't helping them just so i could have the it was the ego it's basically my ego was more so uh the front and center of a lot of my relationships i was having and it was like me being right is more important than this person being happy and it's like as you say that there are certain scenarios where it's different you know i mean there is the old time where if Megan, my girlfriend, gets a little bit annoyed about that sometimes because if there's something we're disagreeing on and it's like something that's objective, so it's like this song released in May 1999 or something, and one of us is saying, no, it released in 2001, after a while, I'll just Google it. And then I'm just like, look, either you're right or I'm right. Normally she's right <laughs> a lot yeah. of the time, which works for me. It's just like, cool, I need that, that ego to be kind of pushed back a bit. But like before the internet, because, you know, um, even when I was in college and stuff, that was around the time everyone started having mobile phones, but having the internet on your phone was still very expensive and that sort of stuff. So you couldn't just whip out your phone, load up Google in five seconds and have the answer. It would either cost money or take ages. So, and even obviously prior to that, it was even less so. So it, it did take a while um, of me being basically kind of self-sabotaging, but then I, I did look at myself and go, I, I need to value people more than my own ego in essence. And it just took a while to do that. Well, that that's two quick comments. Those kind of disagreements, even when you're right, you're wrong. I've learned that one over the years. So, you know, it's just, ah, maybe it was 2000, maybe it was 2001. doesn't really matter. We've got the bright general era. So, but, but the other thing is that when you get to the point where relationships are more important than your ego, it, it, it's at least in part a result of you having more confidence. You know, a lot of times we have to be right because we have we stoke our ego, but that comes from some sort of insecurity. And so once you kind of let let go of that and say, you know, I don't always have to be right, or I don't have to always prove that I'm right, you're really showing that you're, I don't know, this is going to sound kind of weird. You're right often enough to where you don't have to prove it all the time. Mm, very well said. You know, I mean, we're watching the Olympics, these these amazing athletes don't have to prove that they're the best when you know they're uh, they're playing pickup basketball or something they don't have to prove they're the best they know they're the, the best and so they have that level of confidence and so I, I think that's something that maybe some people get early in their lives but i really think you have to learn the costs of placing your ego above uh, the needs of other people 
before you kind of really internalize. Yeah, I, I don't need to stroke my ego that much. You know, I, I'm, I'm okay with being wrong. This relationship is more important to me. Hmm. No, I, I agree completely. It is one of those things. It is, it is ego. And it is, it does come from insecurity. You know, my dad above pretty much all else valued his intelligence. And then I started to put all my value in intelligence. And then when I would potentially realize I wasn't the smartest person in the room, which is quite rare for me to be the smartest person in the room. Um, but like, if I ever felt like I wasn't, I would have to kind of try and prove that I was, even though no one who is, no one who's truly intelligent most of the time really cares how intelligent they are compared to others. And the big thing, especially learning, is that intelligence comes in so many different facets. Like you can be, I've got friends who are incredible academia, but they've got no common sense at all. And then I've got other friends who are incredible with like making things with their hands and being really resourceful and that sort of stuff who are useless with computers. And it's just there's all kinds of layers. There's only so much humans can be good at as an individual. And so trying to think you're the best at everything, you're just not going to be. And right. when you kind of recognize that, that can be a thing. And it's exactly what you say. It's, I, I want to be the smartest person in the room. I was evidently not. So I would try and prove that I was instead of just accepting it. Right, right. And and really the smart thing to do is to sit back and listen and to value those relationships. Was it, I don't know, Andrew would know this, but I think it was Socrates that said something along the lines of the only thing that I know is that I know nothing. Mm. And so, you know, really smart people come to the conclusion that they really don't know all that much. And so they're willing to be wrong. They're willing to learn. They're willing to try to work with, um, with others to increase our understanding. So... Hmm. Yeah, it's it's it is one of those things. It's something that's very undervalued. And when I eventually uh, become a parent, which hopefully won't be for several more years yet, um, but when I eventually do that, it's going to be one of those things I learned sort of from my dad. Was just like you know, there was many great lessons of um, my dad, and he was great in so many ways. But it was like uh, I had a discussion. Who was it with? Um, I can't remember who it was with, but I, I was having a discussion with someone, and what their parent I think was generally the same and it's one of those things that my dad used to if he was wrong and he knew he was wrong he wouldn't say it but then the next day he would buy you something and he's like <laughs> i don't want this thing like yeah i love this cool new star wars toy that's awesome but I, I don't want this i just want you to admit to me that you're sorry and that you were wrong so i can then kind of be like oh it's okay to be wrong you know and it's one of those things where oh, i was chris brayton that was it who I, sp- I spoke with and um he came on the show a little while ago and it saying that you're sorry and accepting that you are wrong i feel like it is perceived on the outset as a weak move but i think it's one of the strongest moves one can make is that you're you're opening yourself up to vulnerability and say i don't know everything right right yeah and that, that's really true from a leadership perspective as well mm. you know a, a leader who can admit that they've gotten something wrong uh, and, and there's a fine there's a point at which it's you're wrong too often <laughs> and that's a really bad thing but you know, it, it up until that point, you're going to increase your your people's confidence in you if you're willing to admit that you're wrong. I, I had a spectacular failure um, not too long after I became dean. I, I put a, um, I did this program that I was just sure was going to be successful. We talked to industry people that were going to guarantee that they were going to send their folks into this master's program. And after about a year and a half, we had 12 or 14 students signed up and it was just pointless to go on with the program. So I, I, even though it was my idea, I said, look, we we've done all we can do. The market's just not there. We're going to kill this thing. 
And I remember one of the really senior faculty, when I sent out the email that said we were going to kill it, he said, you know, I know that was really hard for you to, you know, kill this program because it was your baby. But, you know, I have a tremendous respect for the fact that you were willing to do it. Hmm. And so, you know, I don't know, probably would have been better if the thing had been wildly successful. But the worst thing I could have done was just hold on to it because it was my idea and I thought it was right. You know, at some point, you just have to admit, you know, things just didn't go our way. You know, maybe it was a bad idea. Maybe the market changed. I don't know. But the pro the deal is that this is a bad idea now. And so regardless of whether or not it looked like a bad idea back then, it's a bad idea now. We're not going to do it anymore. And so, you know, if, if, if someone's a kind of leader where they're just going to dig their heels in and keep throwing more and more money and effort into a project like that, it just undermines their credibility in a huge way. So, you know, as long as you don't do it too often, and saying I was wrong about this can really boost you in a lot of ways. Mm. And also, I think humans, we're very flawed creatures in itself anyway, but I think that so many people learn from mistakes. I mean, that's how, you know, even if you go back to early humans, like how do we all know that fire is hot? Well, because we've got burnt by it, you know, even as even as kids, you know, not maybe horrendously burnt or anything like that. But the general rule of things is how do you know you shouldn't run into the table? Because normally you're a two-year-old and you do it at some point when no one's around <laughs> to stop you. You smack your head and it really hurts. You're like, I should probably not do that again. And it's just humans learn by mistake. You know, the amount of people who are told, you know, kids and adults, you tell them not to do something and they just will not believe that you shouldn't do this thing. And then yeah. once they do it and then they hurt themselves or it all goes wrong and then they go, ah, I'm not going to admit you're right, but I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> so it's, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> this is what, mistakes really help people uh, grow so much as individuals. And I want to ask you actually about something um, that you mentioned when we got into contact and things, and it's it's about stoicism, um, which you are, well, I'm going to leave the floor to you. Why don't you define stoicism and why it intrigues you? Because I'd love to hear it and I'm sure the audience would too. Well, I, I want to preface this by saying I am not a stoic scholar um, it, it's something that I kind of backed into, uh, through, through mistakes, through figuring some things out and then learned that there was actually a philosophy that I could have saved a lot of years and a lot of anguish if I had known about this philosophy, but basically stoicism is a, a philosophy that came out of the Greeks and the more, the Romans, um, that says you want to try to enjoy life. You know, the Stoics, if if you say say stoic to most people, they picture this emotionless, stony-faced dude that doesn't ever feel anything. And that that's just completely wrong. What the stoics want to do is they want to control negative emotions so they can maximize the way they, they feel positive emotions. And they do that primarily through the application of logic. They've got a number of different practices, but the uh, Epictetus, who was a slave, um, one of the, the early Stoic writers, opened up his book, the, the, the Enchiridion, I think is how you say it, but it's, it's the handbook. And it, he basically says there are some things that are up to us and there are some things that are not. And then he goes on and basically says, what's up to you is your own opinion of things. So something is bad because we think of it as bad. You know, it's not necessarily objectively bad. I mean, I think we could argue that some things are objectively bad, but, you know, you, you lose out on a job. Well, that's a bad thing, right? Well, oh, maybe, you know, only if you look at that as being a negative event, is it going to harm you um, emotionally? 
and so they they want to look at everything from a rational perspective of can, is this thing objectively bad or is this something that that I can change my perspective on like being wrong is a good example well being wrong is bad only because you think being wrong is bad being wrong is actually really good you just said it if you look at being wrong as a way to an opportunity to grow and to learn and so just by shifting your perspective of being wrong from being a bad thing to being a good thing now when you're wrong it's instead of like dang i was wrong i'm an idiot it's like huh i was wrong about that i've learned something today you know so now i'm a little bit better off than i was when i thought i was right and so you can look at a lot of things that way um, and, and the what flows out of that some things you can control and some things you can't is this attitude and, and this is more me than maybe all the classic stoic tests texts is it tends to give you a focus on what you can control so if you'll indulge me with a little story here please do my first wife um, we we remet at our uh at our must have been our 20 year high school reunion you know we'd known each other in high school never dated anything like that met at the reunion ended up getting married we were married for a few years and then she um, started having some pain in her hip and thought it was, you know, went to a doctor, eh, it's probably just a pulled muscle or something like that. And so it went on and on. Well, it turned out it was, it was cancer. It was stage four um, sarcoma, which it, it, sarcoma primarily hits younger people. So if you've seen a, like a child who's got an amputated limb, that's often sarcoma. Well, you know, as soon as I looked into what, what the odds were, I, I mean, I, I knew she was going to, she was going to die and it wasn't going to be that long. And so for two and a half years, she, you know, struggled through treatments and that kind of thing. And the only way that, that I got through it is I didn't question why did this happen? I didn't, you know, question, you know, why, why was I being punished? What did I do wrong? What did she do wrong? I put all of that out of my mind because I can't control that. We have to deal with the fact that she has this terrible disease. And so what are we going to do? What are we going to do today? about that she started having trouble walking we got a cane started having more trouble walking we got a walker you know and then a scooter and then just so what i tried to focus on for the two and a half years she was sick was what can i control i can't control the fact that she has the disease i can't control the fact that it's basically incurable you know they just don't know enough about it I can't control the fact that the treatments aren't really doing what they're supposed to do. But what I can do is I can make her more comfortable or I can spend more time with her. We, we went on a cruise uh, oh, about 10 days before she died. You know, she wanted to go on a cruise. Well, I, I, that I can control. You know, I can find a cruise. We can go and we'll try to have a good time, you know, right here at the end. And so it really, this was all before I knew about stoicism. But that's why stoicism was so appealing to me, because it's this philosophy about first thing you ask is, can I control this? You know, and most of the time, the answer is no. So you accept it, you focus on what you can do, and then you let the rest of it go. And there, there are a number of practices, you know, we could sit here for hours and talk about different things that stoics do. But really, that's the gist of it is 
what can you control? And most of what upsets us is either some kind of regret over the past or some kind of anxiety over the future. Well, you certainly can't control the past, right? The past has happened. All you can do is maybe change your opinion of it, but you can't control the past. You might have some effect on the future. You know, if there's a storm, we have a lot of storms where I live. There's a big storm coming in. I can make sure that the generator is working. I can make sure that we've got water and food. You know, there's some things I can do. But if a hurricane's coming for you, the hurricane's coming for you. You know, you you cannot control that. You can only control your preparation. And so, you know, getting anxious about the hurricane doesn't do any good. What you have to do is just focus on what you can do to prepare. I, I will admit my wife, if she listens to this, will be laughing her head off right now because I talk a good game. But boy, we get a big storm moving and I get stressed pretty quickly. But uh, <laughs> I know yeah, on the show, the generator comes up quite a lot as well, which is a lot of fun. Yes, that's it does. Yeah, it's, been, it's, been, it's been quite the journey. Yes. So, But that's the basics of stoicism. And there are a, a number of books that people could read. Uh, Seneca's letters from a stoic are really, that's really quite good and quite accessible. Um Marcus Aurelius uh, was the last good emperor of Rome. He's got a, a, his book is Meditations. And then Epictetus was the the handbook. Um, And then there's a a very good book called, uh, it's the Ancient Art of Stoic Joy. And I, I can get you the full, I'm sorry, I'm not coming up with a full title off the top of my head, uh, but it's, uh, by a guy by the name of William Irvine uh, with an I that really makes uh, stoicism very accessible. And so I would, anybody who's interested, I would recommend looking into those. And then there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, Ryan holiday is a big uh, stoic, um, but I don't know. It's, it's just helped me a lot because it's this focus on what can you control? Um, we're watching the Olympics and one, one of the stoics I'm, not going to remember exactly who said never enter a contest that you're not sure of winning. Well, that doesn't mean go play basketball with with (laughs) seven-year-olds, you know, I mean, it's not, not, but what he's saying is you, you want to prepare the best you can. Hmm. You want to be as prepared as you can. You want to, you know, keep your body in good shape or your mind in good shape or whatever it is. And then you do the best you can. And that's the end of it. If you are the best prepared you can possibly be, whatever the outcome is, you've won the contest because the contest isn't coming in first or getting the job or whatever. It's about the way you've prepared yourself. And so I, I, I think stoicism has got a lot to teach us. Uh, it's very, it's at the end of the day, it's a very practical philosophy mm. really at its core. Sorry, I get excited when I talk about that, but that's good. Uh, you know, one of the, my favorite things about doing the show is watching people light up with excitement, talking about things they're passionate about. Um, but I just want to thank you for uh, your honesty and openness with the um, your uh, now late wife. Unfortunately, you know that was uh, that's sad to hear. But you know, I can sympathise due to my dad passed away due to cancer. So it was like he got oh, he was so, ill. Yeah. They discovered it. It was esophageal cancer. They discovered it when it was in stage three, I think. Then he had about 18 months after it got fully discovered and then he passed away. Um, so it was, and he went, you know, with my mum, they went on like a couple of holidays and things, like sort of last 
final things as well. So I, I understand, you know, that, that element of things. And here's one of those things, like, I I would never wish anyone to have someone that they care about or anyone really to have cancer because it is horrendous. But it is one of those things that for a while after Dad passed away, I was there was that sort of mindset of, would I... You know, I wish I could go back and, you know, warn him sooner or do something different and that sort of thing. And now that I'm uh, eight years on, I'm not saying his death was worth it necessarily. It's kind of the wrong perspective, but more so like it wasn't all bad in the sense that, you know, I'm very lucky I had 19 years with him. I'm very lucky of many things, but also who I'm with now, Megan, I've been with her for three years or so now we're looking to buy a house and we sort of other things and it's my longest relationship and you know whatnot but it was like i wouldn't i would almost certainly not be with megan now if my dad hadn't passed away because when my dad was ill he did a gig for charity and due to that gig for charity i met my girlfriend at at that time and then you know things that work with them and there's been girlfriends in between and then eventually i met megan and it's like it's not look it's not trying to look at it like the trade-off is someone's life for my current relationship but it's more so like as you say i can't change what happened but i can kind of look at the the silver linings as you say the perspective is a very is a very key thing and i think that's a very common theme in your podcast and it's very important it's just you know perspective is everything it's you know i I, one of the things i I met megan on tinder and one of the things in my bio was um i'm a pessimistic optimist so i'm a realist (laughs) and it was just i thought it was clever and um clearly she did as well but it's one of those things where like being being pessimistic and also being optimistic they both have their merits in a lot of ways but it's good to recognize when you're looking at something the more optimistic view and the more pessimistic view like i try and be realistic with things i i hope for the best but i expect the worst in a sense and then if you kind of there's a really simple way you know life is much more complicated than this but like if you kind of look at life in that way and you kind of you know hopefully things will work out but if it doesn't it's like with the generator thing with you and storms it's like i hope this storm doesn't come near our house and it goes right past it and we're all fine but in case it doesn't i've put these things in place to prepare me just in case right yeah i I mean i think that gets back to a a little bit of the stoic philosophy Mm -hmm. where what can you control well, you can look at it, look at it kind of the worst case and say, okay, what, what is reasonable for me to do to prepare for this worst case? That doesn't mean you want it to happen. You know, you still want the best case to come out. But if the Stoics actually have a practice called negative visualization, where, which, which sounds totally wrong, right? We're taught to, you know, envision yourself winning or getting the job or, you know, whatever it is, closing the sale. But what what they say is, think about bad things that could happen, and then think about how you want to react to them. You know what 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 would be your emotions? What would you do? And what you're doing is you're kind of rehearsing, and you can get yourself to a point where maybe you can think, I can get through this. Um, this is a much more trivial little story, but my. I've got a dog named Maggie. She's a border collie, bulldog, sled dog, God knows what else mix. And she's just a fantastic dog. I mean, she's just one of those dogs, smart as can be. She's 14 years old now, still runs around, you know, like she's three or four years old. But a, a number of years ago, she she just wasn't herself. So we took her to the vet and the vet said she's got an arrhythmia in her heart. And it's really serious. She, you know, the vet wanted us to take her down to Phoenix, which was a couple hours away, 
to see a canine cardiologist. I didn't even know they had such things. Well, we didn't make it very far. She was so up, the dog was so upset that I said, we're not going to kill our dog trying to save our dog. But, but I practiced, practiced this negative visualization. What would it be? What would my life be like if I woke up and Maggie wasn't there ready to go for her walk or wanting to play, or, you know, we used to go on hikes. We lived by the base of a mountain. What would my life be? And I prepared myself. And if she had passed away, you know, I would have been better off for that preparation, but, but there's a really odd thing that happened. She turned out to be fine. She went on some medication for a few years, you know, she's very healthy now, but it made me appreciate her all the more because I had visualized losing her. And so I think, you know, if you can think about this pessimistic view on important things and not wishing that it happens, but just saying, what is my life going to be like if this thing happens? Then if it happens, you're prepared. If it doesn't happen, you're going to appreciate whatever the object of that negative visualization was that much more. So it's it's kind of counterintuitive. It took me a while to get my head around it. But but I think I think you've kind of come into that in a certain way with this pessimist optimist view that you take. You know, you're prepared both mentally and, you know, you have a generator, you have water or whatever it is that you need to have. Uh, and I think we've seen, I don't know, we, we've seen that really driven home the, the last couple of years with the pandemic. Hmm. You know, I, I won't tell you how much toilet paper we have at our house, but I was prepared. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I, I would count. Okay, so let's see. If we use so many rolls a day, how many? <laughs> it's good to be prepared, but you never know. Even over here, like people, you know, all it takes is, you know, one supplier to run out or something. Or, you know, even if 1% of the population buys 10 times more than they need, then that will kind of create a knock-on effect because then, oh, more people will go to stores and see, oh, this store's out of stock. Oh, I need to buy more now, so I'll go to the next store and buy out. Right. And it's like a domino effect. And it can just, you know, so, so that happened over here somewhat for a little bit. Um, which I understand also, you know, being prepared is is a very important thing, as you say. Like with the pandemic, it is it was something very quite unexpected in a lot of ways. Um, with all those things happened. But so back to, back to stoicism and the sort of the pessimism and, and things, I find that, when it you never know what life is going to hit you with you know it, it, it's one of those things it's one of the beautiful and terrifying things of life and it is just with the right mindset and the right perspective it doesn't make you know the passing of your uh, wife and the passing of my dad they weren't easy and even knowing it was coming didn't make it any easier necessarily but it was just more so almost just a slightly a slight perspective change just made the healing maybe a bit quicker maybe a bit less painful you know it's perspective can be such an important thing for personal just living in general but also when these big events happen that you either are or are not prepared for i think that one's own mindset is it, so invaluable really it, it it really is i mean if i think back on uh, on my whole journey with her you know, so she was going to get sick you know that was just going to happen so if I had not kind of met her and we hadn't fallen in love and gotten married, then sure. I would have missed out on two and a half years of some really bad times, but I also would have missed out on knowing her. Mm. And so, you know, if that's, I remember saying this at the time, you know, if, 
if this disease is the price I have to pay for having had her in my life, well, I mean, I'm prepared to pay it. Um, and so, you know, you, you can't change, I'm trying to think of a good way to say this, you, you can't change things that are, you know, something is, it is. So all you can do is try to deal with it in the best way possible. And a big part of that, as you said, is an attitude change. I mean, you know, your dad passed away. He, he got cancer and he passed away and you can't do anything about that. But what you can do is instead of dwelling on the, you know, how bad that was, how tough that was on you and your family, you can say, okay, well, that's all true. But also it gave me this new perspective on things and it made me appreciate things that I didn't maybe appreciate otherwise. And so I think that's a really good attitude to have. And, and it's, I, I want to acknowledge two things. One, I did not hoard toilet paper, by the way. I was not a hoarder. <laughs> I want to get that on the record. But the other thing is that there's a lot of what we're talking about here. I, I don't want to sound glib, like this is simple to do, hmm. you know, and easy. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. There's no doubt about it. Um, but you can do it. I mean, people can can do these things that can put these practices into their life. Um, but it, it does take effort. And it's the, the Stoics say none of us are a sage, you know, none of us are perfect. in our practice of whatever our life philosophy is, we're constantly, you know, kind of adjust course and, and get a little better and learn from our mistakes and so on. So I don't want anybody to think that, uh, because maybe they've had really struggled with some life events like this, that they you know, they're weak or they're dumb, you know, this is, this is hard to do. And I'm looking back on it with over a decade of perspective. So I, I just want to make sure that we let people know that it's, you can gain that perspective, but if you, you know, if you didn't, if you haven't yet, that's okay too. You know, everybody's got their own path. Everybody's got their own journey. Hmm. Yeah. It, it's not, it, it's not by any means an easy thing and there's no, you know, there's no right way to do it. I mean, I would, I would probably argue there's some wrong ways to do certain things. I'm not going to delve into those because we'll be here all day, but like, you know, more so it's one's own personal journey and people experience, deal with things in different ways. People like with me, for example, I, I've said about this in the podcast before. Um, I won't go into the, the details, but in essence, after dad passed away, I didn't, I thought I dealt with it fine. I was like, you know, I saw it coming. It was very sad. I was like 19 and stuff and I'd finished college and stuff. I had a job and whatnot. And, most of my friends around me and things said, you, you seem generally fine. I'm really surprised how well you're taking this and stuff. And I thought I was taking it really well as well. But I didn't cry about my dad passing out. I was in the room with his corpse. He went into a, a hospice um, in the day. And then that evening he passed away. And so I saw his his body there and things. And my family were there and whatnot. And everyone else was crying. And I wasn't crying. And I, you know, I got a bit teary. But I, I didn't actually shed a tear in its essence. And it took, it was, I think it was either six months or a year before I I did actually cry about it. I'm not saying people have to cry or don't have to cry or anything like that, but it was more so I thought I was fine because I wasn't confronting it in the same way. And I was self-medicating with drugs in certain ways. You know, I didn't my life didn't go off the rails and get addicted to horrendous stuff. You know, I still had my job and everything. It was more on the weekend, you know, there's partying and then there's you know fucking going for it in essence. And that's more so what I was going for. And it was just getting absolutely trashed every weekend and then just waiting for the weekend. And it, it took a while for me to realize, really after I stopped doing that kind of destructive lifestyle in a sense, 
And once again, I didn't lose a job or any friends or loads of money or anything like that. It was just not a healthy way to live. After a, a, a couple of years after that, in my sort of earlier 20s and things, I kind of recognized that somewhat. And I was like, I thought I was doing all those drugs and things because that's what I wanted to do, which is partly true. But a lot of it was more so because I wasn't confronting the true feelings I was having. And I was just thinking, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. While I'm doing all these things that are yeah. showing I'm not fine. So I'm trying to say like, it's not, it wasn't, and I'm sure you're saying the same thing, which is, it's not the moment the bad thing happens or the event happens when the person passes. It's not the next day you wake up and you're like, I understand everything. Like some people can take months, years, decades even to really recognize how one was feeling at the time. And then once one recognizes that, one can then look and maybe in essence try and see steer where they're going, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a process and everybody's going to experience it in their own way. And, and whatever way somebody's experiencing it, it, it's okay in the moment. You know, if you don't like the way that some kind of negative event is making you feel, well, you can take steps to maybe work yourself out of that. But really, the, the worst thing you can do is to get down on yourself, you know, because you are feeling whatever you're feeling, you know, you're, you're feeling what you what you're feeling. And so the question is, is really, what do you want to do about that in the future? Uh, not beating yourself up over the way you feel in the moment. But I think another thing that that we really need to start paying more attention to is self-compassion. Mm. You know, we, we maybe this is a Western thing. I don't know, but we, we just can be so hard on ourselves and, you know, just be so self-critical and, you, you know, you, you'll, you'll tell yourself things that if somebody were relating your experience as their experience, you'd be very compassionate towards them. But we, we tend to be much harder on ourselves than we are on other people. And I think that can be very damaging. Uh, but that's another way that stoicism can come in handy is right, if you screw up, you know, you, you make your girlfriend mad or you're inconsiderate or whatever it is. Okay, you did that. It's not good. You don't want to do it again. But you shift your focus from, you know, I'm a jerk to how am I going to avoid repeating that behavior in the future? What are the triggers? Uh, I, I'll give you another example with the, I've talked about this on the podcast with, with Tracy, my wife. She grew up in a, in an environment that had some violence in it um, without going into a lot of detail. But I, I, I inherited my dad's temper. So my old man was one of those guys, he would, something would happen, he'd get mad, 30 seconds later, it's over with, that's the end of it. And so I got some of that in me. And I, I, I made a decision a long time ago to not get mad about things that matter. So I tend to get mad about, um, you know, traffic or something like that. And, and I was doing my normal routine. And then, you know, somebody would be going slow, and I'd be cussing about it in the car and not, you know, not ramming them or blaring my horn, but just, you know, being basically dickish inside the car to have our word for the day. And then I noticed what it was doing to Tracy. You know, I wasn't mad at her. I wasn't expressing any of this towards her, but I, I could see her almost kind of cower over against the passenger side door. And I thought, man, you got to stop this. You know, may, maybe it's nothing to you. It's just a release to you. But look what it's doing to somebody that you love. And so, 
you know, I just, I'm, I'm, I won't say I'm perfect, but I'm much better. I just don't, at least I won't express my frustration at things like that anymore. But, you know, it, it's not, if I was just going to beat myself up, oh, you're a terrible person, you've got this anger problem, you know, you're horrible, uh, that doesn't do any good. It's like, all right, look, I'm going to think about this rationally. This is a person I love. This, this activity that's totally pointless. I mean, you know, getting mad and cussing at somebody doesn't make them go any faster. <laughs> so, you know, what's the point? This, this thing that has no value for me or for anything objectively is harming this person that I love. So I'm not going to beat myself up over having done it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put mental breaks in where if I feel myself starting to get like that, I'm going to stop. And, and my visualization is, all right, if I start yelling, I'm going to have, I'm going to visualize Tracy over there cowering, you know, and all up, upset because of whatever reason. And so, you know, you just train yourself over time to do better. But my, my point, I know I got a little long winded there, but my point is if you dwell on, you know, you're a terrible person because you act this way, you don't get anywhere. That, that just doesn't move you anywhere positive at all. But if you say, I'm not going to do this anymore, how am I going to embed this practice of not doing this anymore into my life? You know, what? how am I going to do that? Now you've placed a, a future-oriented, growth-oriented, improvement-oriented perspective on it instead of this, I'm an asshole perspective, which may well have been true, but it's in the past. You can't do anything about it anyway. You were an asshole. You don't have to be an asshole in the future. <laughs> so I, th I thought we, I thought we needed to change the words up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. Here's here's one of those things. It's like I, it's I'm going to be is paraphrasing the quote, but it's basically just, you know, it's not about being better than someone else. It's about being better than you were yesterday. Right. And, and that's just all one can do. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be as good at, uh, you know, cooking as Gordon Ramsay, let's say, you know, I'm not a very good cook anyway. So it's definitely not going to be that way. But it's not, if I compare myself to someone who's top of the tier of something, then I'll always fall short. But if I just compare how I am today to yesterday, then hopefully it will be generally an improvement i mean yesterday is a bit too much of a shorter time span more so the last few weeks or months or whatever just generally trying it all one needs to do really is just try to be better than they were the day before and if you generally go with that mindset and you're you know with the right self-compassion as you've pointed out generally your life will be better like it's right. not it's not a simple thing you know all of these ideas are just ways to somewhat help one deal with life it, it just little ways there's no here's the answer stoicism you do stoicism and then your life's going to be better forever it's, it's not that simple and i know you're not saying that no. it is just one has to try and see what works for them and it, however whatever way of interpreting that is how it works with some people and as you say with with being compassionate about oneself one thing megan can be quite hard on herself um and what i try and say to her is like if she's She's very good at cooking and things, but she puts too much on to make herself cook. And then she'll maybe mess up one thing slightly and it won't look as perfect as she wanted it to do. And then she gets upset because the people coming over, she thinks they're going to hate it and stuff. And I'm just like, right, try and look at it like this. If you went over their house and they made you all this food and that thing looked the way it did, would you 
would you be angry at them would you hate them or would you be thankful they made all this food for you and she'd be like oh well i'd, I'd be thankful for it and i'm like i try and try and you know one has to be very empathetic towards other people but as you say like i hadn't necessarily thought about it in uh in such a grand scheme but i think you are right i think especially in the western world um especially when the work ethic is such an important thing and especially you know men have a lot of privilege in the western world but one thing that they do not have and they suffer with a lot i find is uh discussing vulnerability and emotion and i think that self-compassion is kind of linking arms to that you know recognizing when you're wrong recognizing when you've done good things and trying to be like oh that's cool that's nice for you to do well done and i think a lot of those things that you you've pointed out are very important well and it, it also that kind of a mindset also gives you permission to try things mm. i mean think about you know when you started your podcast i mean i don't know did you have a radio background or anything like that not really no i did a bit of youtube stuff for a while but n nothing major yeah i mean same here so you know i mean I, i'm i'm an old man you know, I'm, I'm a, I have a very lofty title. I'm, I'm an eminent scholar. So I, you know, I'm, I've kind of achieved what I wanted to achieve a lot of it professionally. And, you know, I could sit back and cruise and, but by saying, okay, I, it's okay to learn, you know, to, to try something and not quite get it right. And, you know, tweak it a little bit, that sort of thing. You don't have to be perfect out of the gate then. So let's start a podcast. And if you have this mindset where you're just going to hate yourself for every little mistake you make, well, you'd never try anything new. You know, why, why would you start a podcast if you're afraid that you're going to suck at it? Or if you're just a little bit less than perfect, it's going to make you miserable. And so if you have this self-compassion and this, I don't think it's a little bit cliche-ish, but failing forward, you know, I'm going to try it and, and I'm going to see what doesn't work. And if this does, if one thing doesn't work, I'm going to try it to tweak it a little bit and I'm going to get better. You know, if you feel like you, you can't give yourself any compassion when things haven't quite gone the way you would want them to, then that really keeps you in this, this kind of comfort zone box. Uh, I, I have a saying, comfort is the enemy of progress. And so I, I really, Andrea doesn't agree with me on this 100%, but I, I think it's good for us to always be a little uncomfortable, you know, where we are always wanting, you know, I, I think this could be a little bit better. This could be a little bit better. I could do this a little bit differently. That's how you grow. But you have to be willing to be compassionate to yourself when things don't go the way you want them to. to. Uh, Tr Tracy is actually great at this. She's a really good cook. Um, and when she tries a new recipe, if it isn't quite right, it's okay if it's not quite right. Her, her, her thing is she's going to try a new recipe. And if it isn't quite right, she's going to try to figure out what isn't quite right about it. And then maybe a little more salt, a little less salt. Maybe she needs to cook it less, a little bit more, whatever it is. And then the second time it'll be better. Mm -hmm. And usually by the third time she's made something, it's fantastic. But if she was going to beat herself up over the first time not being perfect, I'd be eating ham sandwiches for dinner every night, you know? <laughs> so, you know, really, but, but I think that's an important point. If you're going to be overly perfection focused and not have this compassion for yourself when things don't go right, then you're just not going to try challenging things. Yeah, I agree entirely. It's, it's, 
it's a very very well put in all honesty um and we're getting sort of towards the hour mark there's no rush to immediately finish or anything like that but i, I wondered if there was sort of uh anything else you wanted to add to that 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 sort of element well you know i i think that really this time in history it's a time to just give ourselves and everybody else a break you know, I've talked about this at my university and said, it's not a time to be a hard ass. You know, I'm, I'm usually pretty strict on deadlines and that kind of thing, but we're going through a pandemic. We've literally never faced this before. I mean, I know we had the Spanish flu back in 1911 or whatever it was, but it was a completely different world then. I mean, we are literally in something that nobody really, well, I don't, maybe somebody envisioned it, but basically had not been envisioned before. And so we're all going to get some of this right, and we're all going to get some of this wrong. And so with the, I don't know if you, you may want to cut this part, but the vaccine, you know, the big controversy. And I see a lot of things um, on social media where if you're not getting the vaccine, you're an idiot, you're evil. As I wait a second, you know, there are reasons to be a little bit hesitant to get this particular vaccine or this, you know, this family of vaccines. They haven't been thoroughly tested. We don't know what the long-term uh, side effects are going to be. We don't, we don't, there's a lot we don't know. And so just because somebody is struggling with that doesn't necessarily mean they're an idiot or they're evil. I mean, I got the vaccine because I thought, okay, what do I think the side effects are going to be versus, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm an older guy. If I, if I get it, it could be really bad, um, especially since I have to do a lot of work to kind of maintain our property. It would be really bad. And so, yeah, maybe there will be side effects down the road. But I, to me, that risk is, is not nearly as important as the risk of me getting COVID. But that doesn't mean it's the only way to think. I mean, I think that's the way to think, but that's not the only way to think. And so... You know, we, we need to just cut everybody a little bit of slack these days, uh, not be so quick to judge. I don't know. It's uh, it's it's a strange time. So, but that, that self-compassion, you know, it, it, we want to have our own self-compassion, but we also want to be more understanding of other people that might disagree with us. I agree completely with that. I mean, I had a, had a debate with some of my friends in the, in the group chat. And we were talking about the vaccine. Like I, I've had, I've had the first vaccine. My second vaccine is due in about a month. So I, around the time this is at, this airs, I'll be closer to having my second vaccine. Megan's had both shots of it and things. Most people I know have had uh, one or or two shots of it and things. And it, I had a discussion with or debate with my friends uh, because one of them was saying, "I can't believe people won't get vaccines and that sort of thing." And I was like, "It's like I'm not an anti-vaxer. You know, I, vaccines don't cause autism. That's been scientifically proven. However," I am in that thing where there is that part of me and Megan shared it to, to some degree of there's that worry of like, you know, we want to have kids someday. If this vaccine, they've only been testing it for, you know, if even if you could be really optimistic with it, a few years, even if it's before COVID and stuff, even if they were testing it before that, a few years, it's like to know the long-term repercussions of decades ahead you just can't know. Like, I trust science. I hope, you know, and I, I get the vaccine because, you know, it's, I don't want to, you know, be unvaccinated and I get the vaccine get and I, do, I get COVID and give it to my mum who's, you know, 60 something years old and then 
if something happened to her because I wasn't vaccinated or something happened to someone else, random person on a bus or whatever, I would, I don't want to put that on someone. I think that, okay, I'll bite the bullet. I'll get the vaccine. Even if I'm not 100% certain, it's going to be perfect and there's not going to be any negative side effects in the long term. It is, as you say, it's the risk. And it's just like, well, I don't want to get COVID. I don't want to give it to other people. All, all the science we have does point towards it being fine. People who are just a bit skeptical and a bit worried, you know, people who, you know, are wanting to have kids. And, you know, there's been, I know it's in really old, older history, you know, decades and decades ago, but there's been, you know, birth control medication and uh, babies' milk and things like that, which have not been vetted properly or some things have happened. And then babies have come out like with illnesses or um, have come out deformed, all kinds of things have happened, which at the time the science was saying everything's fine, don't worry about it. And then the long term repercussions showed that wasn't entirely true because of xyz and i'm not saying the vaccine doesn't work and i know that's not what you're saying either we've both been vaccinated i want to clarify that to the audience but it is as you say you want to cut people some slack if someone is a bit skeptical you know talk them you know point them to the evidence say you know chances are things will be fine if you look at these reasonings they have tested the vaccine more than maybe you first thought it is a risk and things but it's kind of you have to be aware that if you don't have the vaccine you may not be allowed into nightclubs or music gigs and things like that and if, if that's fine with you okay that that's your choice in in life but right. yeah i think being so when someone has a different opinion on something and being so uh, against them and being so militant against them i think that doesn't necessarily help people in in most ways i think compassion is something that one can one can try even if you think the other person is wrong try and be empathetic and try and be like okay why are they thinking like this how can we communicate in a sense you know well the if you want to persuade somebody the the first step is to listen to them mm. and you listen to them in order to understand their perspective and then you can come at whatever the issue is whether it's a vaccine or you know what restaurant to go to you can come at it in a way that's persuasive without being manipulative mm. but but if you just are closed-minded you know where you're going to you're just convinced that they're idiots. Well, that doesn't get anybody anywhere. I mean, you know, how, how would, how would any of us react if we disagree with somebody and they just say, well, you're just an idiot. If that's what you think, you know, I mean, my first thought would be screw you. Yeah. Although that would not be the term I would use, but uh, you know, you know, get out of my face. I don't want to talk to you anymore. It doesn't, doesn't accomplish anything. And you know, the, the science points in a certain direction. This is another piece you may want to cut out. But the thing about science is it's, it's rarely, if ever, settled. You know, we all, we've, we've seen that in the pandemic. You know, the CDC, the WHO, the, the advice uh, has changed. The guidelines have changed. And, you know, some people say, well, that, they don't know what they're doing. Well, they're figuring this out. And so they're going to give the best guidance they can with what they know today. Two weeks from now, they're going to get the best guidance they, they can based on what they know two weeks from now. And so I think if we can just all take a breath and say, you know, we're, we're all kind of trying to get through this ride together, it doesn't really help anything if we're at each other's throats. And, and I don't care which side of the political aisle somebody's on. It's just not helpful. Um, so I'm sorry, that was my political you know, so apologize. Never yeah, apologize. On this show, you know, as long as you're not being 
you know horrendously bigoted to a certain group of people i I never ask him to apologize you know it's this whole show is about being open and being honest and you know um i agree you know with all the points that you've made you know science is ever changing completely agree there are reasons people are skeptical of vaccines one has to try and be compassionate and you know we're coming towards the end here and i'll let you sort of plug your uh, stuff in a moment but i did also want to uh thank you because i think there's not enough people openly talking about trying to have a middle ground trying to be compassionate you know being vulnerable and open obviously you you told us about your uh, late wife which i do really appreciate the honesty there and you know being vulnerable in that sense you know i very much respect that as someone who's been in a somewhat similar situation you know with my dad and things and it's one of those things that people being vulnerable is just such an important thing and especially being a man and being open and honest and vulnerable with things i think is something that is it's slowly happening more as it goes on but i think it's still something that is lacking a lot and especially where obviously i'm a fairly young guy and you're a slightly older gentleman it's even more important i find with someone <laughs> you're not, you're not anybody old. that's watching this on youtube knows what an <laughs> understatement that is <laughs> But um, young spirited. Um, I don't know if that makes it But I just I appreciate you know yourself being open and honest with those sort of things. It, it does. It generally means a lot to me, and I know that a lot of my listeners really respect that as well. And like, especially because you've got a podcast and things now, and you'll be you know podcasting for forever until your yeah. deathbed. You know, decades and decades. You're always going to be podcasting. That's a fact. And uh, you know, spreading the good word word and things. It's just. It's something that's important, so I just want to say thank you for, for you sort of right. doing that. And um, are there any sort of final comments uh, before you do all your plugs and things? Just sort of any final statements, anything you want to kind of add toward the end there? No, just just remember life is tough and, uh, you know, you'll do some things right and you'll do some things wrong. Just don't beat yourself up over it. and Look to the future. Wonderful. That's perfect. Well, so obviously your show is the, the Rational Ignorance Podcast. I will include links to the um, that in the description, but I don't know if you want to uh, tell people if there's website or social media or anything else related or anything you want to add about the show that hasn't already been said, uh, and then we'll kind of wrap this up. Sure. Uh, so the website is rationalignorancepodcast.com. Uh, that's got links to all of our socials there. Um, on Twitter, we're at the RI podcast. Um, I'm fairly active on Twitter, so feel free to reach out. Um, and our, we're getting ready to open up our second season, um, actually starts tomorrow, uh, which is on human flourishing. And so if you like these kinds of things, we're going to be covering everything from Aristotle to Stoicism to Buddhism to um, music, art, um, so a really wide ranging thing, wide ranging array of things that, that and philosophies that can help people flourish, help people live the way that, that humans are meant to live. And so I think people get a lot out of it. Uh, I know we will. So that's why we do it. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. You know, and, and it's wonderful. You know, I, I do want to say just, um, just thank you again for coming on the show. It's been an absolute mm-hmm. delight speaking with you. And I know busy you've been today, especially. So finding the time to speak with me, I, I do really, really appreciate it. And, um, you know, we'll have to do this again sometime because there's so yeah, many other to- elements of things um, that either you can bring some subjects to the table. But obviously, before pressing record, there are loads of different things we could have touched on. Um, but because, you know, I know it's a great conversation when the majority of my bullet points aren't touched. Yeah, <laughs> so great. Well, thank you I for enjoyed the it. conversation. I'm, yeah, I'm thoroughly uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed it very much. And, uh, yeah, just thank you for coming on, dude. All right, well, you're welcome, and thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad we were able to connect. 
And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. As I said in the intro, please make sure you go check out Craig's show, The Rational Ignorance Podcast. The website is in the description as well as the Twitter account. Um, it's a really fun podcast. Go listen to it. There's a lot of cool and deep conversations on there about a wide variety of things. And obviously, as you heard in this conversation, Craig is such a nice guy. I will definitely be having him on the show again at some point in the future. But until then, yeah, enjoy the Rational Ignorance podcast. And, you know, please communicate with him on social media, you know, tweet at him and things. Say how much you enjoyed his appearance on this show because I just had so much fun and I just really appreciate him being so open and honest and vulnerable with me. It's uh, something that all of us need to do more frequently, I think, in general as a society. But, you know, we spoke about that in the podcast. So what have we got coming up then over the next few weeks for Genuine Chit Chat? So I've got two parts recorded with Jack of Jack's Musings, and uh, you may be familiar with his WordPress site. He does a few sort of reviews and things on there. He is also the co-host of Seasons Greetings, which is on the Comics and Motions feed, which is where my Star Wars podcast airs. Well, it airs on my Genuine Chit Chat YouTube channel, but on the podcast apps and things, it airs on the feed of Comics in Motion. And on there, you've got Seasons Greetings, which him and Tony Farina have been doing Binging Buffy. I think they're going to be doing an Angel series as well. They're basically going to be doing rewatches of big series and doing like one episode a month on those uh, jack also has a show called pop gorillas uh, which if you listen to my show on comics and motion on certain episodes there's like a two or three minute mini review that is put at the start or the end of these episodes and things which is quite fun and they've also released now the full episode of like several of them in there on the comics and motion news feed and i think there's also a feed for pop gorillas in itself as well loads of different things there but we do talk about that sort of stuff when he is on the show as i said it is going to be a two-parter so if you want to get access to both parts when the first part drops on this feed, make sure you go over to patreon.com slash genuine chits chat. You can give as little as £1 a month, which is like $1.20 or something. And for that little a month, you get access to hours and hours of exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. And you also get early access to genuine chit chat episodes. So whenever part one and part two drops, you will already have access to the full unsplit episode on the Patreon feed when part one drops. And I also prioritize Patreon. So like, the Patreon ones normally get uploaded about half an hour or so, maybe an hour before part one gets dropped on this main feed. So if you want to listen that urgently and you want to support the show and you want to get early access to things as well as, you know, additional bonus content, all that sort of other stuff, then just consider going over to patreon.com slash genuine chits chat as it would mean the absolute world to me as obviously I do this show and Star Wars Comics and Canon completely for free. And although I'm still happy to do so, if anyone is willing to contribute financially to help cover some of the costs it is to run the show and the time that I spend on this and you want more content, it would mean a lot to me for you guys just to go check that out. See, me and Jack spoke about his podcasts as well as just speaking up movies for like two hours. Loads and loads of fun. I really can't wait for those. Uh, And then what have we got coming up aside from that? So I have got some podcasts due in the books for recording. There's a few past guests who've been in contact who want to come on the show again as well. Uh, I've also got someone involved with Star Wars in some form. Uh, That should be a very exciting chat. That's going to be in a few weeks time. And then I've also got an individual who's involved with making a Batman fan film. So I'm very excited to talk about that. And then, yeah, I've got other sort of repeat guests who are going to be coming on the show as well uh, as well as just a few other things sort of in the background so lots of cool stuff coming up you know if you go over to my patreon as i've already harped on about several times uh, i do most months post the future guest list and sort of 
you know, I've got a list of people. There's some who are going to be potential guests. Some who've confirmed they'll come on the show, but we haven't set a date. Other ones where I've actually got the date cemented when I'm going to be recording it, as well as a lot of the guest spots and things I do. So there's loads of reasons to go to Patreon. I know I keep harping on about it, but I know some of you guys are already on there and it means the absolute world to me, but the more the merrier. Uh, aside from that, guys, really, it's just mentioning my guest spots. You know, the most recent guest spot I did was on the Have Not Seen This Podcast with Rafe. That was loads of fun. We spoke about one of my favorite films ever, which is The Way Way Back. Uh, I also was on Indie Comic Spotlight fairly recently, talking with Tony about Mark Russell's Flintstone comic run. That was really cool. And I was also on Star Wars Timeline's Timecast, which is on YouTube, where me and Ben spoke about the three different Star Wars trilogies for about two hours. Uh, those, as well as a few others, are included in the show notes of this episode. As you know, always check out the show notes. I've been complimented quite a few times on my show notes because there's a lot. <laughs> I've got information on this show, uh, you know, this episode specifically, the guest who comes on, the promo, when, which I often play, as well as what was on last week, my Patreon, my Star Wars show, and my guest spots, and my social media. So there's not really anything else to add in there. Some people, maybe we should argue that there's even less should be in there, but I'm not one of those people. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening so much. It means the world to me. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please reach out to Craig on Rational Ignorance Podcast and tell him how much you enjoyed him coming on the show. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you guys next week with part one of my chat with Jack. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.